Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Vitamins, Matthew, are micronutrients required in small quantities that we cannot synthesize ourselves. Okay. So have you ever, this is my question to you, have you ever taken a multivitamin? Yes. Why? Um, I, actually, I think it might have been more of a B vitamin complex mix. Okay. Um, back in my days of drinking alcohol. Okay, so why the, B vitamins the, and alcohol? The day after. Did it help? Uh, probably not. It made, it made me urinate a lot. Uh, okay. So did you do it because there was any evidence behind it? I probably wasn't in that mindset in, in that time of my life. Just too busy getting on the source, huh? Yes. Alcohol, beer, you, <laughs> you name it. Are they two separate things? <laughs> All right. What about yourself? Have I ever taken multivitamin? Yeah, yeah, I and have. Why, Michael? Uh, I think I took it because I knew that I needed vitamins, and it's really hard to quantify how many vitamins you actually take in your foodstuffs. And so I was unsure whether I had enough, and so I thought I took it as one Just of those. Cover all the bases. Yeah. 
And I think that's probably why most people take multivitamins, right? Yeah. Is that they go, well, we, some is good, more must be better. Right. Is that true, that statement? I think what we're going to find as we move through all the vitamins in this episode is that, uh, generally speaking, you probably don't need a multivitamin. Okay. Generally speaking. Yeah. All right. So I think first thing we should talk about is that while we said vitamins are micronutrients, mm-hmm. small things yeah. required in small quantities. Yeah. So obviously- you Compared to macro, which we've done already, right? So that's- Glucose, like ca- carbs, proteins, fats. Yeah. yeah. So you need them in large quantities because you need the energy well, for from calories. Them. Yeah, for the calories. And building blocks. Yep. But uh, vitamins, uh, you need small quantities because they play a multitude of roles in the body. Um and we can't synthesize them ourselves. That's a really important point. If we can, it's not a vitamin. Oh, really? So like very quickly, vitamin C, most animals can synthesize vitamin C themselves. We can't. Okay. So it's a vitamin for us. Good point. All right. Now, Good if point. we break the vitamins up, you can break them up into fat-soluble and water-soluble. First, do you know why it's called a vitamin? No. Vital. Amine. A- amine. Yeah, that's right. And because... Why the amine part? Amine highlights as a nitrogenous base. Okay. But like, I don't like, think they all have nitrogenous bases. No, no. Do they think they were amino acids? Possibly, yes. Okay. And the vital or for vitality. We need them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that part possibly true. Mm, but you have no idea about the amine part. <laughs> okay. So just generally before we break them up, just as some side points, um, you said they're micronutrients. Uh, they're essential for metabolism. Okay, they're generally cofactors, so they can assist with. They're either enzymes or assist with enzymes, um, and also some of them can act as hormones. Some so if if they act as a hormone, are they a vitamin? Well, um, maybe the mimic. I don't know. Okay, like these are the fat soluble. This is A and D. Mm. They can act as hormones. Yeah, I know that D would probably be more so recognized as a hormone. Or maybe signaling molecule-like function. Okay. So some of the broad functions that they will do, this is vitamins just generally, is cell growth, proliferation, differentiation, and um, they affect immune phenomena. Right, so this is the thing that gets to me. You, Anytime you hear people talk about vitamins, they have that little yeah, spiel about they do. Things. That doesn't – it means – like that literally means nothing, right? True, and I agree. So what we want to do today break is them down, break them down, and not just say oh, metabolism, self. I mean, we will say those things because the difficulty is they do have very broad roles and very broad functions. But we might be able to highlight their importance through deficiencies yeah. and uh, excess. Yeah. Well, interestingly, when I was looking up some research here, I was expecting to look within pharmacology textbooks. Yeah. And it actually was fairly deficient in these vitamins. Um, So maybe they needed a multivitamin. Yeah. yeah. It seemed that the biochemistry texts were the place to find everything about vitamins. So that's why I suggested metabolism because that's the kind of text you go to if you want to learn about metabolism and all the Mm. intricacies. Um, Before we get into – so we'll start with fat-soluble ones, but before we get into it, I just want to make a couple of points – um, deficiencies. So what would you consider why a person would be deficient in vitamins? Okay. I'd, well, because we need to get them from food. Based on category. Based on category. So why would a person. Fat soluble versus water soluble. No, no, no. Just generally. Why would a person 
become deficient in a vitamin. Okay. Either they're not getting enough in their diet. That's okay, one. So in a, inadequate intake, yes. Yep. Uh, they have an issue metabolizing it. So maybe a genetic disease or disorder. Okay. Or poor absorption. Well, that was going to be my third one. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> yep. That's it. Are you, are you done? Yeah. Um, well, what, what else am I missing? Ineffective utilization. So that could be kind of metabolism, but probably possibly also the way it's transported. I would, I would assume that all the fat-soluble ones need transporters. So if you have issues with protein transporters in your blood, you're probably going to have problems with the fat-soluble vitamins. Um, Sequestering? Yeah, probably also where they're stored. Yeah. Um, and then an increase in demand. So if you mm. are at a time in your life when you need extra vitamins, such as? Um, don't know. Pregnancy? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Adolescence? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and then maybe certain exercise intensities. So if you're an athlete, maybe you'd need more. I would assume you need more, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then this would put you into clinical syndromes, okay? So the, the deficiencies? Yeah. Uh, finally, I'll just make a point that vitamins – well, actually, let's just put this question forward. I think you may have elaborated – oh, sorry, alluded to this earlier – um, many people think vitamins are naturally occurring, so they're safe. Aha, uh -huh, yes. Is that true? The natural fallacy. Uh, no. Okay, so that's it. That was my point. Vitamins can be toxic. In yeah, in I excess. mean, anything can be toxic. Toxic in excess doesn't matter whether it's whether it's natural or synthetic. There's always going to be a quantity that's going to do you harm. Yeah. Well, in the literature, you find what we call an upper safe limit. Yeah. So some vitamins will have an upper safe limit, but then some don't really specify it. And a it lot doesn't of, mean that there's not true, an upper safe true. limit. A lot of the a lot of the B vitamin or a lot of the water soluble ones, they because you don't store it, the expectation is you'll just urinate them all out. Yeah. Um, finally, so with oh, we're we going into the fat soluble ones. You're you're taking the lead here. Okay. Um, before we get into the specifics of fat, we'll start. I think with that's the, the fourth time you've said before we get into. Okay, you know how I am. Yeah, I do. So before we it's start, always a fat soluble. What's your um, acronym or what's your way of remembering the? Fat the way soluble? I remember the fat soluble vitamins yeah. is DECA, D E K A, okay. and then the water soluble is easy because it's just the B's and C. Okay. And there's a multitude <laughs> of B's. How do you know all the B's though? By numbers, how would you remember that? Uh, I I can count from one <laughs> to twelve. <laughs> And then I and, and miss I'm a few. Miss out on I think eight to eleven. Is that right? No, miss out. Yeah, miss out on eight, four ten, and, five. and eleven. And four and five. Oh yeah, there's no four and five. Okay, so basically <laughs> the Bs are B one, B two, B three, B six, B seven, B nine, and B twelve, and behave. Okay, we're going to start with fat soluble. So this okay. is going to be Decker. Just as an introductory point, um, they're stored in tissue. Yeah. So these ones can be stored. A type of tissue. Um, liver and fat. Okay. Primarily. Um, as I said, they're fat-soluble, so they generally need a transporter, which I'd assume would be proteins. Um, vitamin A, for instance, is stored in your liver, so that's a good one. Isn't so it? are yeah. they all steroid vitamins? I, I'm not going to guess that. Um, okay. Vitamin K is a coenzyme. Yeah. Okay, and vitamin A and D are like hormones. Okay, and these two can be toxic, whereas K and E are less likely. Okay, okay. as in in abundance. In abundance. All right. Finally, they are mal their malabsorption. So, if you have a problem getting them into your body from your diet, 
Okay. They're fat. Doesn't that mean doesn't that mean if you've got them in your body from your diet, but you can't absorb them for utility? You can't get them across your gut into your blood. Yes. It's from so you may get sufficient quantities in your yes. diet, but you may not have an issue with absorption in the gut. Correct. Yeah. And this would be a, a strong reason for why a person would be um, fat-soluble vitamin deficient. Malabsorption. Right. But wouldn't it take a significant amount of time for this to become apparent because fat-soluble vitamins are stored, so it may take months yeah. of this... Potentially for some can take up to a year because wow. you've got it stored in certain spots. Like the liver, for example. And fat, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, when we look at the malabsorption causes, so what do you reckon would be the biggest, some of the biggest reasons for why a person... Oh, diseases like Crohn's disease, for example. Yep. So inflammatory bowel. Yep. Good. Um, maybe uh, bacterial issues. Possibly. The big ones I've got is issues with the gallbladder. So that would be a problem when you're breaking down fat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cystic- oh, so a lot of it needs fat in yes. the bowel for it to be yeah. crossing across the yeah, epithelia. Yeah. yeah. I think they get transported with colomicrons and so forth. Um, so, so if you're going to – so does that mean those fat-soluble vitamins, D and K, obviously E and A as well, but do, do they all need to be ingested with fat in order – for them to be appropriately absorbed. I'm, I'm not going to speculate, but there's a possibility that... I mean, a lot of them are found in fatty foods, yeah, right? Yeah. So I would just say it's part and parcel yeah. of ingesting them. Yep. A few other things, cystic fibrosis. Now, the reason for that is... Mucus. Generally, cystic fibrosis is thought to be a lung issue, but it's also pancreas, so you wouldn't be secreting your lipases. So uh, cystic fibrosis is an uh, over-secretion or excess secretion of mucus, right? Yeah, so that... Well, in this case, it's going to be mucus within the pancreas. So it blocks it up? And it, yeah, and it can't get the digestive enzymes out. Out of the pancreas yeah, into, into the, the small intestines yeah. to break things down and help absorb. Yep. Gotcha. So with the fat-soluble vitamins, some of the big reasons why a person would malabsorb them and they have, therefore have deficiencies would be liver disease, gallbladder issues, inflammatory bowel, and cystic fibrosis. Now we can go into the specifics. Great idea. I've done my... No, it's very good, <laughs> very thorough. I'm very so, boring and very thorough. So, Decker, let's go. You're, you're doing – so let's just specify here um, because there's, what, nine? No, 18. I don't, actually, I think we've cut back a bit. Yeah. Initially, we were going to do the minerals, but we've decided to pull those out. Yeah, so there's 12 vitamins we're talking so we've about We've got six today. each, and so we will break this up. So, Mike, you can start with D. Okay, vitamin D, like Matt said, fat-soluble vitamin. Um, it – its role in the body is to increase the intestinal absorption of calcium, magnesium, and phosphate. So these are ions within the body, okay. which play a multitude of different roles. Now, the thing with vitamin D, interestingly, is that it's probably more so recognized as a hormone than a vitamin, and mm. its synthesis primarily happens from sunlight, specifically UVB. Okay. Now, now, what happens is that after sun exposure... Uh, we synthesize something called a vitamin D precursor or pre-hormone called vitamin D3, also known as cholecalciferol. And this is synthesized in the lower layers of the epidermis of the okay. skin. But it's inactive. It doesn't do anything. So and it needs to be activated. Is this the basis of this from cholesterol? Uh, that's correct. Yes. Now, that's D3, an inactive form. Of vitamin D, but there's also D2, which is another inactive form of vitamin D, and that comes from foods. Okay. So D3 
D3 from sunlight, D2 from foods. You can get D3 in foods as well. Uh, and together, jump into the body, go to the liver. The liver turns it into something called calcidiol. Okay. Still not active. Goes to the kidney, and then the kidney will activate it into calcitriol. And now this is the this active- This is in the kidney. This is in the kidney. Yeah. This uh, is the active form of vitamin D. Is this where it's potentially a hormone? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it's a hormone because it's a signaling molecule. And this, so this would be a function, one of the eight or nine functions of the kidney. Correct. Okay. Yeah, synthesis of vitamin D. So if you have kidney failure, you can't activate vitamin D and you'll probably get bone issues. Yep. Oh, I've gone too far. You've gone too far. You've, uh, you've basically uh, s- stolen my thunder, <laughs> taken the wind out of my sails and other things. I timed that one well. Very good. Now, with adequate sun exposure, nearly all mammals, and we are mammals, Matthew, can get- Speak for yourself, mate. Oh, yeah, okay. Can get vitamin D from our sunlight, all right? Okay. But in saying that, we live in Queensland. We live in one of the sunniest places on the planet. We live at the in an area that has the highest incidence of skin cancer in the world. SCC Central. That's right. I call it. Which is on Matt's front door. <laughs> <laughs> and- Basically, the interesting point here is if we were to take Queensland, which is where we live, at the end of summer, only 6% of Queenslanders have vitamin D levels below the recommended amount in the blood serum. However, if you look at other places around the world, that number varies significantly. And it depends on how much sun they get. So in Scandinavia, that number goes way up. Well, in summer? uh, Just... Basically, any time. Do you mean the there are diurn- there there are basically seasonal. changes seasonal changes in vitamin D levels, and often at the end of winter, people's vitamin D levels are at its lowest because of the sunlight. It's that's why it's not a surprise coming from Scandinavia. Vitamin D levels are low. The darker your skin, the lower your vitamin D levels because the reduced vitamin. Uh, the reduced UVB getting through the skin to be able to activate the vitamin D precursor, D3. So does that mean um, vitamin D in excess is t- a problem? Is it toxic? Yeah, vitamin D in excess can be can be toxic. So would we have developed darker skin to prevent too much vitamin D or do you think it's more... No, I more think it was more skin, skin protection. protection. All right. Yeah. And so... I found an interesting, uh, interesting stat is that one of the highest, one of the, one of the places on the planet with, I should say, the lowest level of vitamin D floating in the serum is Saudi Arabia. Oh, yes, because they're very covered. All covered up. Yeah. And because of that, obviously, the vitamin D levels are quite low. Now, you, Do they have the highest incidence of fractures? Good question. Let's now talk about what vitamin D does in the body. I said earlier on it helps absorb in the gut calcium, magnesium, phosphorus. Let's talk about calcium for a second. What it does is it increases blood calcium levels. So homeostasis, blood calcium levels. Would that be its primary function then? Yeah. Calcium homeostasis. Calcium homeostasis. So when you say vitamin A. Mm -hmm. Vitamin A or vitamin D? Vitamin D, sorry. Um, The primary function of it is... Calcium homeostasis. Correct. And just tell us why that's important, just as a very quick side point. Well, it's important because 
calcium plays a huge role in maintaining bone mineral density right. and also allowing for muscles to contract yep. and also allowing for neurotransmitters to be passed from one okay. neuronal synapse to the next. And one more. Um, what? Clotting. Clotting. Of course, always forget the clotting. Okay. So what happens here? So obviously we need a sufficient amount of calcium in the blood serum, right? Now, once it's increased due to vitamin D, the bone can suck it up and deposit it and then it can have nice strong bones because it's the calcium and phosphate within bones that makes it hard. It's the other stuff in it, the, inorga- uh, the organic stuff, which is the gels and the fibers, which might give it its structure but is bendy, not very rigid, right? Okay. So in individuals who have vitamin D deficiency... Right, so not enough. Uh, so that would be a problem with then calcium handling. Correct. It's called osteomalacia, okay. also known as? Uh, for children? Correct. Rickets. Rickets. And rickets is a D deficiency. And I have an interesting gait. Yes. While I look at you. Correct. <laughs> so the leg looks significantly Val- bowed. Is it valgus? Valgus legs. Maybe. Is that the correct term? Potentially. Like bowed legs. Maybe. Bowed legs, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically because there's no calcium and phosphate in the bone because okay. the blood serum levels are so low and yeah. therefore the bone is bendy. Yeah. And so m- malforms. Okay. All right. So now when we look at vitamin D, there's a bunch of research out. There's always research out looking yeah, it's at- It's pretty big, isn't it? Using supplements. This seems to be one of the biggest- For diseases. Um, in its um, popularity at the moment. Yeah. Now- For a multitude of reasons, right? Yeah, a number of reasons. So people have looked at vitamin D and cancer, for example. Now, I'm talking about supplementation here, right? Because everyone wants to know, well, should we supplement with vitamin D? Okay. I think that just to to interrupt. So I think a lot of this came from observational data, right? Where they found that these diseases, so diseases X, Y, Z are increased in populations with low vitamin D. Yeah. And these diseases are less in people who have higher vitamin D. So they assume, well, it's a hypothesis yep. that vitamin D must have an influence on these diseases. Yeah. So then they went into these studies of saying, or RCTs, of given populations amounts and then testing those diseases. Yeah, or they do epidemiological or observational studies where they just retrospectively have a look at individuals and ask them how much have they consumed. But the that is the problem, right? Because, That's the problem because yeah. it's too many confounding factors. You can't control those types of studies. RCTs, it's uh, what's, so once, an, what's an RCT stand for? A random controlled trial. It, control is in the name of the study. Okay. And so it's controlled uh, variables. But when you do an observational and you look at it retrospectively, how much have you taken in this amount of time, it's really difficult to control for all the other things that they've taken. Yeah, so when you look at people who take vitamins just generally, this is not vitamin D, just generally, um, what type of people do you think are more likely to take vitamins? I would say people who are more conscious about their health. Yeah, so usually education is higher, socioeconomics is higher, and diet's better. Yeah. And so then if you just do pure correlation or observational data, it does look like vitamins are better for health. Mm. But you're being biased here 
because the people who are taking the vitamins are healthier people. Correct. So we don't know the utility or the causal effect of taking vitamins until you do an RCT. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why RCTs are so damn important. That's why they're the gold standard. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about these retrospective sort of epidemiological studies is they give us good indicators to what what we can do an RCT for in the future. I think they call them hypothesis driving. Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. So considering what you said at the beginning is that we see something, we think, okay, vitamin D is involved with bone and bone... Sorry, (laughs) did you hear that? I heard you knock the microphone over. Yeah, it's okay, usually me with microphone issues. Just hit me but in today, the face. It's you. I know. Okay. Just got a blood nose now. Um, so they had a look at vitamin D and osteoporosis or the risk of bone breaks in an elderly population. And they found that there seems to be evidence for using vitamin D with calcium. calcium. Right? This is the clincher, right? With yeah. calcium in an older population. When that older population have reduced calcium and reduced vitamin D levels already. That seems to reduce the risk of bone breaks. However, in healthy adults, so over the age of 18, vitamin D supplementation doesn't seem to alter bone density or mineralization. Okay, so no benefit. No benefit if you're part of a healthy population, basically. So that's for bone mineralization. And didn't they do a study, I think it was in Australia, where they found that if you took vitamin D supplementation on its own... Mm. Without calcium, it was actually detrimental. In what way? Uh, just negative outcomes when, when, in terms of fractures. Yeah. And I think that was an, an old population in Australia as well. Wow. Yeah. So the data's tricky, right? Now, they also looked at vitamin D in cancer because yeah. they look at everything in yeah. cancer. And they found that it may reduce cancer mortality. Seemed to reduce cancer mortality by about 13% over 3 to 10 years. So that means death due to cancer right but it didn't seem to change the cancer incidence so how many people how many new people developed cancer so it didn't change that at all but seemed to reduce so this this was a modest reduction so does that mean the people with cancer who were taking it were more likely not to die in that period correct but but it didn't stop new cancers that's correct okay it wasn't a preventer of developing cancer. Okay. And they also looked at vitamin D in depression. That was quite big maybe about eight years ago. I remember well, it, that being huge. Well, it's interesting because um, when, you, when you spoke about the populations in the world that have low vitamin D at certain periods, like Scandinavia, mm. they developed SAD syndrome, right? Yeah, that's right. So seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, SAD. And that could be... It's just a thought. That could be vitamin D driven, right? It could be vitamin D driven or it could be the fact that maybe sunlight stimulates a whole bunch of transcriptional activity and that just correlates with vitamin D because it happens at the same time. Okay. Anyway, so they looked at vitamin D in depression and they found that it may reduce depression ratings for major depressive disorders. But again, may. This is because these aren't RCTs. Yeah. These are observational studies. So we need to recapitulate these in RCTs to be more confident. Okay. Now, the last one with vitamin D is multiple sclerosis. Mm. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Okay. Well, isn't that the theory of why northern latitudes are higher in incidence of MS? Sunlight. Oh, it's sunlight. Potentially. Okay. It it may have to do with sunlight and sunlight exposure. 
um, but it could also be genetic and could also be dietary as well. So they're thinking there seems to be some evidence. So is it? Is it? Um, I'm just trying to remember back because I had MS as a uh, an assignment case for my students. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, the thought of the etiology is either pro-inflammation or hyperimmunity or I think the third one was blood-brain barrier. Yep. So it seems to be that the, uh, vitamin D deficiency or dysfunction or changes have been associated with immune dysregulation, which has its association with multiple sclerosis. Because it's an autoimmune Yes, and that they're looking at actual RCTs now supplementing vitamin D. Doesn't seem to, once you've got MS. Yeah, once you've got it, yeah. Yeah. There's no going back. That's right, Mm. but it seems to reduce the risk. Okay. Yeah. All right, D done, go into E. D done. Uh, I think you did E. No, you did E. Did I do E? Okay, Um, vitamin E. Another fat-soluble vitamin, also known as the tocopherols. Have you heard of that before? No, very interesting name though. Yes, I have no idea what it means. Um, what role does vitamin E play? It's often termed... Skin, hair? Antioxidant. Antioxidant. Yeah, so it protects cell membranes from oxidative stress. So your body's always pumping out oxidative stresses, um, what we call reactive oxygen species, ROSs. Yeah. Right. Uh, and basically they're oxygen molecules with a negative charge and they run around and try and neutralize themselves by shearing off protons from other things other things including uh, okay. like cell membranes for example right so vitamin e seems to reduce the uh, detrimental effect of these so it plays a really really important role but this is where it's sold in like skincare products as vitamin e cream so is that because um aging a theory of aging is through oxidative stress that's right and so with your skin as you age you lose collagen and elastin and all that stuff and you get become saggy in part <laughs> yeah in er, in certain areas uh, and in part due to yeah the oxidative stress wreaking its havoc on the body over time so i think that using or putting vitamin e within cream may help the skin what do you think probably bs yeah i think it's uh, a lot of bs not much evidence to support that vitamin E in skincare cream really does anything. Okay. It's probably a, a, a waste of money. Okay. So um, anything else as a vitamin? Yeah. So it's, it's in nearly every food. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's hard can, to- Can you specify some? Um, uh, oats, meats. Okay. Like everything. Well, not everything, but many different, and because it's in so, so does that mean many, it's difficult to get deficiencies? Correct. All right. That's why you hardly ever hear of vitamin E deficiencies. Right. Yeah. What nuts? Not sure. For some reason, I always think nuts. With, well, I think a lot of I think a lot of the fat solubles. Okay. Are a lot of oils, nuts, eggs, meats. Okay. Right. Um. So yeah, hard to get deficiencies, but they've looked at vitamin E in a whole bunch of other diseases as well as mm. supplementation. So vitamin E with cancer, there's some observational studies that show there's an inverse correlation between vitamin E and bladder and prostate cancers. So worse? No, inverse. So more vitamin E, less oh, cancer. Okay. But again, observational. Uh, this hasn't been recaptured in a RCT at all. Vitamin E in cardiovascular disease, it may reduce the risk, cardiovascular disease. Uh, under the hypothesis that it's reducing oxidative stress within the vascular tissue. Okay. Uh, they're tentative. 
right? But here's two quite strong ones. Uh, vitamin E and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So it significantly increases when you when individuals have under supervision, mm-hmm. right? Increases liver function and decreases the histological changes that are associated with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So it actually dem- demonstrably is improves effective, it. improves yeah, fatty liver, uh, yeah, non-alcoholic. I think I read that the other day actually and, as, a, as a treatment. And the last one is uh, vitamin E acetate and vaping. Oh, yes, I heard about this. Yeah, so it seems to be uh, vitamin E acetate may be the culprit that's wreaking havoc with all these lung diseases that are coming up. From vaping. And vapors recently. So is, so is it in the actual... Vapists. Vapors or vapists? Uh, I don't... Both I, sound I don't horrible. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, do they know where that comes from in the vaping? Uh, f- what do you mean? So, is it in the actual... An additive. It's in the fluid. Yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. And what's the effect that it's having to the lungs? No, we we don't know. How do the people die? Okay, of death. Okay, but is it a, like a? You're not sure. No, nah. yeah, right. no, nah, I'm not sure. This has just been something that's popped up recently. Um, I don't know if it's associated with the whole popcorn lung that happens. Um, but oh yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty nasty actually. Seems to be that vaping is safer than smoking cigarettes, but it's definitely not safer than not smoking anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so you, we've done D and E. Okay, so on to me. So you're uh, doing what? K and A. K and A? Yeah. All right, tell me about vitamin K. Okay, I'm going to start with you, the recommended dose in intake. Or no. RDA, the recommended R- daily intake. Or I. <laughs> was it RDA. I? RDA. I. What's the I stand for? Or is it recommend daily amount? Intake, RDA. intake, intake. Intake? Okay. So for males, it is 120 micrograms and for fe- much. females, 90 micrograms. That's So why different? Just because of body size? Good point. Probably. Okay. Probably. So it is a – vitamin K is a group of compounds that vary in the number of isoprenoid Okay, units or side chains. What okay. the hell does that mean? They're hydrocarbons. Was that even worth bringing up? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's two types. There's, a, there's vitamin K1 and K2. K1 are from plants, okay, and from animals is the K2, okay? The the K1 type is phyloquinone and the animal is the menoquinones. Right. Okay, so that's the two difference. Apparently animals will store it as the K2. And so when you have an animal-based diet, so that would be the meats, I assume, um, you get in that form, whereas in the plants, you get in the K1 form. Okay, Some of the ways you'd get it from your your food would be the green leafy vegetables, fruits, uh, and also vegetable oils and dairy. So what's the difference between the two? They both produce the same effect? Uh, yeah, I didn't find a difference in why one would be better than the other. Okay. Um, I've just found that... So getting K from either source seems to be fine. Yeah, that's right. Um, absorption is dependent on f- your fat absorption. So how well you absorb vitamin K would depend on how well you absorb your fat in your diet. And so Do you reckon I'll, that's safe to say with most of the vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins? I think so. I think so. Um, now going into the function. So top of your head, what do you think vitamin K does? 
The only thing that I can really remember is clotting. Yeah, very good. That's basically it. Um, it's very difficult to become deficient in it. Okay, so why? Because be because our it's in so many different foods. So many different foods, but this is the big one. Yeah, bacteria it's, make it. Yeah, it's sorry, pro- produced by intestinal bacteria in your large bowel. From what do we know? Uh, from bacteria. <laughs> they they destroy themselves, so they cannibalize I don't themselves. Know. They eat something and then they produce it for you. <laughs> That's the K two type, actually. Bacteria and animals is the K two. Gotcha. Okay, so therefore, with that logic, who which population are the most deficient or most likely to be deficient? People who are smashed by antibiotics, potentially. But I was thinking newborns. Gotcha. There's um, evidence to show that newborns are born with gut flora yeah, now. Yeah. But they don't, they so you're wrong, idiot. Premi- but particularly premature infants. Why? Just because of lack of lack of gut flora. Yeah, that's the theory. Okay, so when they, I don't know this. You've you've had a child. Did they when Tia was born? Mm. Did they give her vitamin K? Yeah. Okay. Do they do what was the heel prick thing? Is that just to test clot in? Did yeah, they? I, th- I think so. Okay. But yeah, they gave her K at like immediately after she was born. Okay, all right. Um, so what it's important for? So it's clotting, yes. So what it does? It's important for pro- post-translational modification of the clotting proteins. What's so that you, mean? You tell me. You're the gen- <laughs> this is your area. This is protein science, not genetics. Yeah, okay. uh, post-translational modification just means once it's been translated into a protein, sometimes you can add little flags onto the proteins and it tells the protein to have a different function or go to a different part of the body. Okay. So with this particular vitamin K, um, the clotting proteins that it's going to activate is vitamin, sorry, clotting 2, 7, 9, and 10. So this is in the clotting cascade. So when you have a break in your blood vessel or you have tissue damage, you're going to start bleeding into your tissue. And obviously your body wants to stop this. Okay. So what it does is it will um, generate or it will start a cascade where one protein turns on the next, on the next, on the next. And it keeps by magnification increasing the next ones. And that turns on ultimately um, thrombin, uh, well, fibrinogen, into, and then you go into thrombin, and then you essentially cross-link, clot. Yeah, cross-link and stabilize the clot. So the it starts with mesh, platelets. Mesh work. Yeah, it starts with platelets, and then it stabilizes it okay. through these clotting proteins. So without K, you don't get the final clot. So what it does, so your liver makes all these clotting proteins, um, so that's why a good liver is important, um, but it it releases them inactive so they're they're in an inactive form so they're floating around your blood in an inactive form right so what vitamin k does is it activates these inactive proteins um, by carboxylation at the um, glutamic 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 residue so this is the amino acids that are glutamine at them at their points it will carboxylate them okay so the enzymes that do that are vitamin K dependent. Gotcha. Okay. So without vitamin K, those no enzymes clotting. won't work. And there's some drugs that can uh, inhibit our vitamin K as well. Yes. And so problems where you're going to have deficiencies with vitamin K is going to be liver disease um, and problems with bacteria. And as I said, the biggest issues would be newborns. Okay. 
So the the most likely issue with vitamin K would be from drugs, particularly warfarin. Why? Warfarin um, essentially blocks vitamin K. And so as in blocks its activity on the clotting cascade? I think so. Or blocks its absorption or it's blocks a, its production? It's a, it's a good point. I didn't look into that. Well, not yeah, good I enough. I failed. You did. You failed us and you failed the team. So anyway, the, the point is what warfarin will do. You know why it's called warfarin? Warfarin. Because they use it during the war? It's, I think it's an acronym. So for it what? stands for Wisconsin Agriculture Research uh, Facility. Something like that. So basically they found about this drug. It's got another name. I just can't remember it. Um, they found out about warfarin because cows, and this is why their agricultural college or institute, cows were eating moldy clover mm-hmm. and they were hemorrhaging and dying. And so they Warfarin f- come from clover. Uh, that's where they discovered it. And so then they realized that this particular molecule was um, having a clotting effect. And so interestingly, this is just a side point, there was a researcher called... Henrik Dam, okay, and what he did, Damn. he fed chickens a cholesterol-free diet, okay? okay, so he for some reason put chloroform in the diet, which took out, um, why are you smiling? I'm not, go on. Okay, um, which took out fat and probably vitamin K from the diet, and what happened to the chickens? They uh, bled out. They bled out. Right, so then he reintroduced the cholesterol, but they still bled out, and so they realized that there must be something else in this process, and so they called it the coagulation vitamin. Now, he was German, and so coagulation was spelt with a K. Gotcha. And so it became vitamin K. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's that was not a not a <laughs> terrible fact. Thank you. Thank Is you. there a, an applause button? Uh. Okay. Um, the other one of the most common overdoses or issues with vitamin K is people ingesting rodent aside. So rodent aside, like <laughs> a, on the side of the road. <laughs> no, um, a rat sack. Gotcha. Because rat sack is essentially warfarin, and so why would somebody ingest that accidentally or suicide attempt? Maybe. Really? Yeah. So in theory, it's not. Well, for the rat, it's not supposed to be a painful death. It's supposed to be a quite um, humane way to die. They just slowly bleed out bleed into out. their body. Sounds well, that sounds terrible. But, but I think they just slowly go to sleep. I, I haven't looked into this, but that's what I read. Gotcha. Um, so if it tra- makes you feel better so, or not, Matt. <laughs> so the treatment for um, rat sack overdose. In or, people. In people. Or too much warfarin um, would be vitamin K. Oh, okay. Okay. So it they both sort of negate each other. Yeah, you need it to give it. It must be competitive an inhibition then. You need to give it as an antidote. Okay. Okay, finally, um, the drugs that other drugs that maybe give you vitamin K deficiency, some antibiotics like um, tetracyclines and rifampin, mm, um, that one. Anti-seizure drugs and some of the drugs that will affect um, fat metabolism. So mineral mineral oil Mineral water, mineral oil, <laughs> mineral oil. Why would you take mineral oil? This is an interesting one. For I don't you. even know what mineral oil is. Um, what is mineral oil? We used it 
I think we used it. No, that was paraffin oil. They use it actually. I used it. Oh no, I'm not going to say this because you're going to give me more. Go on. Um, bloating for goats. Goat bloat. Yeah. The old goat bloat so, antidote. So they put it. <laughs> they put it. They drench um, goats, sheep, cows when they've got bloating, and it breaks up the air, air gas, and they can burp it out. Um, so mineral oil. They Is use, it edible? Yeah, they use it. Sometimes people will use it for um, uh, a laxative. But that will change. It is liquid paraffin. Oh, is it? Yeah, we use it for, well, in in our in res- labs. In our research, we used it for um, electrophysiology. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, any final questions about vitamin K? Yeah. So, uh, you're saying that if you take, so what if you are on warfarin because you've got a particular coagulation yeah, yeah. issue? Yeah. What if you decide to take a multivitamin that has vitamin K in it? Does it negate the effects of your yeah, warfarin? You'd have to talk to your physician about that, yeah. So this is but one of ta- those... But you're doing INRs all the time, which is essentially blood clotting speed, yeah. and that would, I, I assume, interfere with that and it might slow you, speed up your... But I think body. this highlights nicely that just because you need vitamins doesn't mean you can just take them whenever you want. Yeah, yeah. Right? They There are contraindications for taking these things. Good point. So we've done, oh, we've got the last one, vitamin A for fat soluble. Yep, vitamin A. Okay, so this particular uh, vitamin. What's it called? Retinol? Okay, so it's three names. It's a gene- Vitamin A is a generic term for retinol, yeah. retinol, yeah. and ret- retinonic acid. Okay. Okay. The retinol and retinonic acid are the active forms of vitamin A. And retinol is essentially the slightly modified for- version of beta carotene. Okay, and beta carotene's found in it's a pro, it's a pro vitamin, it's a pro vitamin A form. It's, yeah, it's from the plants. Gotcha. Okay, like so, carrots. Yeah, so um, the plants that will be high in beta carotene would be the dark greens, the yellow vegetables. So I guess that's the carrots, um, and tomato. Yellow. Carrots aren't yellow. Well, that's what the category. Okay. Okay, so but the conversion of getting beta carotene from your diet into the first form, which is a retinol, is quite poor. So it's about 12 to 24 to 1. So that means if you were to take 24 milligrams or micrograms, yeah. you'd only get one microgram of retinol. Absorbed. Absorbed. Yeah. In the gut. In the gut. So you generally, if you're going to take the vitamin form, it would be, I assume, in the retinol or retinoic acid form. Okay. Okay. Just for the RDIs, mm-hmm. uh, males need approximately 1,000 micrograms a day or one milligram. Yeah. And females would need 800 micrograms. All right. Um, the safe upper limit is 3,000. So you don't want to be going over that because it is toxic. And I'll explain some of the things that you can get from it now. No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about I'll talk about the pro, uh, the processing first. So beta carotene is how we ingest it. Okay, it gets converted in your gut to retinol. Okay, so retinol by is, what bacteria? Uh, I think there's enzymes that do it. Yeah. Okay. Then you can store it. Okay. So I'd assume that would be in the liver. So. I would, I'm guessing it's going to be stored in a kind of oxidized form of retinol, okay? But here are the two post-modified modified forms. <laughs> there is the 
oxidized retinoic acid form, and that's important for cell growth, um, embryogenesis. So this is for the embryo growing and your epithelial cell maintenance. Okay, that's one aspect. The other one is retinol. Okay, so that's the other active version. Um, it go it turns it from a cis form into a trans form with the exposure of light, and that's in your eye. Right, and okay. what's the point of that? It helps to signal trans transfer. No, no, signal um, basically action potentials into your optic nerve. Okay. And so, if you were deficient in the retinal form, you would get more likely more likely night blindness. Blindness. <laughs> <laughs> Having difficulties with words. Any vitamins you can take to help you with that, Matt? Well, one of the treatments back in the day for what um, night blindness yeah. was liver. Ah, uh, as in organ meat. Yes. Okay. And because so that's, that's where a lot of these fat-soluble vitamins are stored. Before they knew about the um, vitamins, they just gave people liver. Right. So that was the original multivitamin. <laughs> well, it was just used for night blindness. Well, no, actually, if you have a look, if you want these fat-soluble vitamins, they're found quite in yeah, abundance they're, they're, in, that's right. they're, in liver. In liver, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how it works. You're happy with that? Oh, that's how it's working for you? Yeah. So it's important in vision. The biggest cause of blindness in the world is vitamin A deficiency. Not staring at the sun. I'm not sure who would advocate that. No. Actually, no. I think there is one chef, strange chef, that may do that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Don't uh, listen to that. So the most common, I'll just reiterate, the most common form of blindness in the world is vitamin A deficiency. Have you heard about the people who are sunning their bums? I'm not sure how this is relevant. Oh, it just came up with the, you know, un unknown, unnamed chef staring into the sun. There's a, a, a health influencer on Instagram who says to put it 30 seconds of sunlight on your bum hole. Bum hole. <laughs> on your bum hole. And, um, and it uh, is like a, a day, what do they say? It's like 30 minutes in the sun, which is obviously not true and outrageous. And they... <laughs> so that you get... You get the sun onto the full moon. <laughs> where's the uh, where's the Okay. Um so a couple of things. So you're ha happy with the two main areas it's working. So retinol is for the eye, retinoic acids for cell yeah, growth. Yeah, tell us about overabundance and deficiencies. Okay. So the retinoic acid form is appears to be important as a signaling molecule. Okay, and this is going to be important for cellular growth, differentiation, proliferation. Now, this is going to be important in the embryo. Okay, so it's a signaler. Okay, so it will help with differentiation. Now, from the top of my head, one area that I can remember that retinoic acid is important for is the differentiation of your digits in your hand. So it's kind of... So at this point in time, maybe four or five weeks of the embryo, um, your hands are kind of, maybe it's a bit further, maybe closer to eight weeks. Four weeks is when you your arms start to come out of your body, okay? Um, but they're like paddles, like flippers. They haven't like separated. Um, how would you describe this part of my hand? Uh, the lateral aspect of your palm. Okay, so that's the area where the cells are. Actually, you'd say it's the medial aspect of your palm if you're standing in the anatomical Is that a hypothema region? So like the, the fatty, yep. um, so the fleshy part below the little finger. Yep. Okay, on the palm side. 
So that part in the embryo produces a huge amount of retinoic acid. Really? Yeah. And so that spreads off to across the flipper. <laughs> and so the way that that tells the digits to separate is they kind of become mirrored. So this finger, I always get the, the ring finger and the index yeah. are kind of copies of each other. Right. And the middle is just the middle. Whereas the pinky... And the thumb. And the thumb, because of the expression levels of retinoic acid... Um, they're going to develop slightly different from each other. Hmm. Now, if you were as a mother to take excessive amounts of vitamin A, you have super long fingers as a baby. You might, you will have issues. This is just one of um, with the digits forming. What type of issues? Uh, polydactyly, poly, maybe polydactyly, syndactyly, maybe um, the fingers look mirrored to each other more so. Wow. I didn't know that's, any of this. That's just one of many. So okay. I must stress here that vitamin A, both in overdose and underdose, is will cause birth defects. Gotcha. Or possibly can cause birth defects. All right. So that's for the embryo, okay? But it's also going to be important for maintenance of epithelial tissue. So in some, an embryo or adult? Adult. So some toxic effects of having too much vitamin A in your diet... It increases your intracranial pressure. I'm not sure the the mechanism there. Yeah. So that that also gives you headaches, diplopia, so double vision, um, bone and joint pain, and hair loss. That's just some of the hair loss seems to be a common one with a lot of these vitamins. Don't know. Um, that, that might just be the epithelial nature of it. Um, it also will cause corneal softening. Oh. Um, it's strange some of the effects that you get. The the people who are most prone to deficiencies would be who? Um, people who don't eat carrots. Pregnant and lactating women. Okay. And premature infants. Gotcha. Okay. I think that's pretty much everything. Finally, the drugs that will have an effect. Um, there is a drug called coli, uh, cholestri- cholestriamine, which is um, it decreases the cholesterol in your blood. So if a person, I guess, has excessive amounts of hypercholesteremia, they'll take this drug. This drug will play around with the effect of vitamin A and also mineral oil, again, as presumably the laxative effect or the laxative use. Hmm. Um, finally, uh, again, it seemed to have um, a benefit. Vitamin A observationally seemed to have a benefit on cancer, but they've actually shown that um, particularly people who smoked and took vitamin A as supplements, their risk of lung cancers increased dramatically. Increased? Yeah. Ooh. So it's a negative outcome. So don't take vitamin A to try to mitigate lung cancer. Wow. Yeah. So that's vitamin A and K. Cool. So yeah. we've done DECA, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin A with our fat-soluble vitamins. <laughs> that's a laugh. Oh, we should do I don't that. have headphones on. I just wanted an applause. There's your applause. Thank you. Now we're on to the water-soluble. Okay. So that took us 50 minutes. So we, yeah. we should be a bit quicker this time around. I don't know if it took us 50 minutes or it took maybe one of us 50 minutes. Enough about you. Okay. We're going to do water-soluble. What does that mean as opposed to fat-soluble? They... Uh, we don't store them. We just pee them out. Yeah. Right? So, and because of that... I think in the exception of B12, I think we do store B12. So with most of them, we pee them out. Yeah. Uh, which means that probably have a higher uh, safe index with a lot of these, right? 
as in the amount you can yeah. ingest. Yeah, yeah. So we'll probably start with vitamin C and then we'll move on to the Bs. What do you reckon? Yep. Sounds good. Do you want me to do vitamin C? Well, you were put down for it. Yeah. Okay. I'm hoping so. Cool. So vitamin C is also known as ascorbic acid. Why? Um, because it's ascorbic. Okay. Yeah. Did you want to... I just wondered. Oh, I, I, I don't know. See, I'm not going to go into the history of some obscure white German chemist and how they isolated it in 1852. Hey, I and thought that was interesting. Started Bayer Company and then <laughs> sold it off. Of, who cares? So vitamin C is found in many different types of foods. Mm-hmm. Do you know what types of foods? Uh, citrus. Yeah, a lot of citrus foods predominantly. And obviously a lot of people supplement with vitamin C. Um, most animals and plants can synthesize vitamin C, but we can't. In actual fact, simians, so that includes us, tarsiers. What does that mean? Not just you and me, as in simian. What's a simian? It's like a, a, a type of uh, ape. Uh, it's pre-ape, actually. It's one of our ancestral lineages. Oh. So simians, tarsiers, bats, and guinea pigs can't synthesize vitamin That's C. That's a great mix. Oh, that's what I thought. Just like guinea pigs, we can't synthesize vitamin C. Um, and the reason why is because the enzyme involved in the last step seems to be non-functional, seems to be um, filled with mutations that basically inactivate it within these species. Interesting, huh? Now, vitamin C is important in the... Matt doesn't think it's interesting. Uh, let's start talking about old, obscure German chemists, maybe. Vitamin C is used in the synthesis of collagen, which is part of connective tissue. Yeah. Right? So really important uh, when it comes to wound healing. And vitamin C is also a antioxidant, so a reactive oxygen species scavenger as well. Do you know what it's made from? Um, vitamin C. Tell me. Glucose. So that's how plants and animals, excluding us and guinea pigs and bats, make vitamin C. They simply just make it from glucose. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um now, a lack of vitamin C can result in something called scurvy. And scurvy... Yeah. Was that when it was first really discovered? Yeah, first really discovered because individuals, especially on long-haul ships, were getting having issues with weakness, tiredness, uh, and they had very poor wound healing, which ended up getting infected and they died. So uh, what did they actually die of? Is I think it- mainly infection. Okay. Yeah, because the wounds just weren't healing. So they would remain open wounds. And it's because they didn't have vitamin C to help support the collagen in regards to the um, wound, wound healing process. So taking vitamin C, so basically taking vegetables and fruits, which Captain Cook, I think, was one of the first to do this experiment. No, it wasn't him. wasn't it was, him? It was another British um, physician on a Navy. It was oh, on really? the British Navy. Because I thought they took, they took vinegar, yeah. they took uh, v- fruits, and they took some other things. I think they thought it was acidic foods mm. was the... The, the negating factor, but then they realized it was something intrinsic to citrus. Yeah, did the experiment and realized that oh, seems to be uh, citrus fruit uh, fruits. Um, now, the, the amount in the serum needs to be around about 50 micromoles per liter. So that's not the RDA. That's how much in the blood serum is required. Uh, now, want to talk about the huge amounts of studies yeah, that looked at? I'd be interested, All right. especially with the colds, right? Well, okay, let's start with that because everyone thinks vitamin C helps stop you from getting a cold. Now, it doesn't stop you from getting a cold. Hey, just one second. Yeah. Ascorpic acid. Here we go. The A part is without. Yes. Okay. And the scorbitus scorbitus is Latin for scurvy. 
Oh, so it means to get rid of scurvy. Without scurvy, yeah. I like that. See? So maybe I should have looked into it. <laughs> all right, all right. I take it back. Thank you me. aren't a moron. And it wasn't, it was medi- oh, it's medieval Latin, not pro-German. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. All right, let's look at vitamin C and colds. Do you think it stops you from getting a cold? Um, no, short answer, no. doesn't stop you from getting a cold. For some populations, yes. No. Okay. doesn't stop you from getting a cold. However, it may reduce the duration of your symptoms, okay. but only in populations where they were taking vitamin C long-term. So if you get a cold and then take vitamin C, it doesn't seem to reduce your symptoms. Okay. Can I just put a, a degree of accuracy in here? <laughs> 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 yes, please. Please correct me, Matt. Um. The study that I heard was the only benefit of cold prevention was in athletes and uh, army personnel who were in cold environments. So these two populations. Yeah, but they were probably were deficient in yeah. the first place. I'm not sure if it was deficient. They just, their immune system was low because they just put themselves through a, well, my a, point a barrage is of exercise. Within healthy populations, yeah, yeah. vitamin C will not stop you from getting yeah, cold. I'm happy, I'm happy with that as a And conclusion. will hardly reduce the duration of symptoms unless you take it long term. I'm just saying if you're a marathon look, runner in Antarctica, look. it might be <laughs> useful. All right, so that's vitamin C in the cold. Uh, vitamin C in sepsis. Have you heard of this? Um, it seems that vitamin C uh, for intravenous vitamin C okay. may result in better survival rates for individuals with sepsis. I don't know why. And reduce it redu- also reduces the amount of vasopressor required. So maybe it has something to do with, with that. Vasoconstriction. Maybe. So yeah, sepsis. Blood pressure. Does well, get- in looking at blood pressure, short-term trials show vitamin C supplementation may reduce both systolic and diastolic blood pressure, but there were no long-term studies looking at it. Okay. Um, vitamin C in blood lipids. Uh, seems to be no effect. However, there in certain subpopulations, it may reduce blood lipids. But again, this is a pretty uh, poorly done study. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of vitamin C megadosing? Yeah. Okay. You know who started that? For cancer. A white it, chemist called Linus Pauling. Oh, yes. He for started, yeah, for cancer. He said back, well, maybe, what, 30 years ago? He said megadosing vitamin C uh, will basically... Cure cancer. Uh, it doesn't really seem to cure anything. Is there any evidence for cancer treatment with megadosis? Uh, I, I could not find anything. I could okay. not find anything that was worth bringing up. Okay, all right. So I would answer that by saying no. Okay. But again, RCTs. Yep, yep. So that's vitamin C. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, no. Cover that well enough? Yep. I think the scurvy was a big one and I think colds appear to be or viruses appear to be the one that most people take it for, right? Correct. Yeah. All right, Matt's going to... I'll go into the B complexes He's going to do B1, B2, B3. So they're your favourite... Can you group um, them together So for play, time? Play school characters. B1 and B2, yeah. Okay. All my favourite bananas. So these are called the B complexes. Is that correct? B1 and... T- one, two, and three? Sure. Okay. They seem to play a very strong role in metabolism and their coenzymes for reactions in carbohydrate, fat, protein, metabolism. Um, just an interesting point to be aware of. As your calorie intake increases, the need for these B complexes will increase. 
Because they play a role in metabolizing them. Correct. That includes That's not to suggest that if you have a high calorie, you just automatically need to start taking B vitamins. Correct. It's just suggesting that that is a phenomena. It's a good point because let me, because it's what people may think is, oh, as I, like you've said, as I increase these foodstuffs, I need more. But it doesn't actually mean you need to go out and get more because you're probably already getting sufficient amounts within your diet already. So while you need more, it doesn't mean you need to actively seek more. Mm. Okay. Um, how it works. So B1 is known as thiamine. 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 So this thiamine. one, this particular one seems to be most strongly with carbohydrate metabolism. Yep. Okay. Um, its primary effect, effect is... Um, well, the name of it is thiamine pyrophosphate. Right. Okay, that's its bigger name. Um, it's a coenzyme for pyruvate dehydrogenase. So do you want to just say what that is? Nope. <laughs> pyruvate dehydrogenase. So pyruvate is the end of glycolysis. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's actually contentious, but yes. So it's Historically, so in, go, in, in metabolism textbooks, in the, yes, it is. Well, that's what I was taught. Yeah. So you go from glucose in the cytoplasm of most, pretty much every cell, and you put it through ten steps or something. Ten, yeah. Is that right? No, around about. And you get to the end, which is pyruvate, isn't it? Yeah. Is that? Yep. That's right. Okay. And then basically there is a handful of steps before you chuck it into the mitochondria as acetyl-CoA. Well, this is the contentious. Okay. Issue. But let's just go with it. Okay. This is a point, right? So it is a coenzyme for this enzyme to put it. Through into acetylcholine. All right. Acetyl, so you basically acetyl-CoA. So you go from pyruvate to acetyl-CoA, which is, which is definitively utilizing the mitochondria. Yeah. It plays a role there. Which is very important for energy, energy. metabolism. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's one function. It also is important for beta ketoglutarate. So What's is that? Is that an enzyme for ketogenesis? To know. Beta ketoglutarate. Yeah. Uh, the 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 glutarate part is putting me off. Okay. Well, anyway, that it has a function there. It's also important for the metabolism of branched amino acids, the pentose pathway, which is an interesting pathway, which I won't talk about much more. Um, <laughs> I think it, that's important for oxidative stress. I hated doing the pentose pathway. Yeah, I didn't really learn it, but I was just aware of it. There's a few diseases from the back of pentose pathway, and then finally, uh, it helps or has a function in producing hydrochloric acid in the stomach. All right. Okay. Sources. So the, how do you get it? The three common ways is dried yeast. So I guess that's in breads, um, whole grains and meat. Okay. Deficiencies. Now the most common, this is the most well-known. There's actually two, but the one that you'll hear about is berry berry. Yeah, I've heard of that. So berry berry. So that's deficiency. Yeah, that's a deficiency. Uh, it, it's a Sinhalese term. That means a what term? Sinhalese, which I think is Sri Lankan, um, a language in Sri Lanka. Uh, it mean it means weak, 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 as in like poor yeah. strength. Yeah, not like fatigue. Monday to Sunday. Fatigue, fatigue. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one of the first ways that they realized or discovered it, it was in actually it appears to be in Chinese medical literature, but one of the first ones was in Japanese um, medical uh, literature um, and they found that people who consumed only white rice 
develop this condition. And this this condition is it's called beriberi. So uh, people, so obviously this is this is individuals who are malnourished. All they have is the cheap white rice to eat. Yes, and the and so white it, rice contains a lot of things, but it doesn't contain B one. Yeah, and because this is the th- the thought of what I said earlier, where as your calorie intake increases, you need these vitamins. White rice is all carbohydrate, pretty much, right? But doesn't contain B one. Right, right. So you does get, it contain the other Bs? I'm not sure. Mm. I think it's called polished. White, white rice is called polished rice. Not polish. polish. Not oh, polish. Okay. As in you polish it. Um, and you remove the husk or something, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there's two types of beriberi. There's dry and there's wet. Dry is without edema. Wet is generally with heart failure. Okay. Why dry and wet? I think it's just the way that it affects the um, excitable tissue in your body. So um, wet, you would get heart failure and subsequent to that you'd get edema which is the wet part edema being wet if you don't leak out well you probably cough and you probably get maybe a wet cough okay okay but didn't you say the other one's edema no wet berry berry is edema. what's dry it's no edema (laughs) but what no no say, say the two again so dry edema is characterized by what uh no edema and wet but but what other symptoms? Oh, so it's it's both of them as a neuromuscular, they have neuromuscular dysfunction, and that's probably why it's called weak weak. Gotcha. Fatigue fatigue. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it was first really discovered by a Japanese doctor on the navy, where all the lower class, um, what would you call them, navy sailors? There we go. Um, ate seamen. They uh, <laughs> they ate only white rice, whereas the higher up personnel and the westerners on the on the um, boat had a more of a diverse diet and they didn't get it wow so they developed um yeah weakness um strange um, paralysis paresthesias yeah and so it was then further the actual thiamine was further discovered this case i don't think it was a um german but i think it was a danish person <laughs> Thank God. Who, who again, um, poor, poor chickens. They gave chickens only rice and then the chickens developed paralysis. Wow. And so then they. So beriberi. They gave beriberi to the chickens. Yeah. So it wasn't beriberi good for them. Wasn't, definitely wasn't beriberi for them. Um, the other cause of thiamine deficiency is alcoholism. Oh, yeah. So the deficiency here... Seems to result in a lot of vitamin deficiencies, alcoholism. I'm not sure at what level the issue is, whether it is the liver and the way that the liver may metabolize it or a absorption or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it appears that um, it takes about 14 days to de- develop the deficiencies through alcoholism. Okay. Now, there is a condition or a syndrome called Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. Yeah. And so that's basically... Was Wernicke? Wernicke, yeah. Okay. Wernicke, which is a brain area. So again, assuming yeah. this guy probably... Did. And it was Wernicke and he was German. <laughs> um, he Could be Wernicke. He classified these, this syndrome. Yeah. Okay. And it usually goes with mental confusion, peripheral neuropathy, ataxia, um, nystagmus, and memory loss. I thought Korsakoff, Wernicke's Korsakoff was... Um, you couldn't understand language. 
Yeah, that's that's the issue with the area because the Wernick's area is language, but I don't think it's got anything to do with that. It's probably just the same guy who named the brain region and the syndrome. Mm. I would be guessing. Because I, I thought he found it in a Russian – he had a Russian patient who was an alcohol uh, alcoholic. Is and that the, that's where the whole that, thing came is from. Is that the Korsakoff part? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. No, you could be making it up. Anyway. Um, don't trust me, anyone. So I think with with patients with – potentially this problem they were they supplemented b1 i'm pretty sure i remember oh, so they found out what the problem was i'm pretty sure i've had patients before where they've got b1 on their um med chart and i think they're suffering alcoholism oh there you go okay um so the two main drugs that will lead to a b1 deficiency is alcohol and oral contraception why oral contraception i didn't look into it <laughs> yeah, okay <laughs> any other questions on that no, let's move on, okay, please. that was a good one. Yeah, okay. Okay, now we go into B2. Yeah, only up to B2. <laughs> uh, we've done C, B1. We're getting there. Yeah, that's okay. Um, we'll I'll, be, I'll be 40 quicker. minutes on this one. B2 um, is known as riboflavin. Aha. Uh-huh. You know why? Um, this will test you. Because it tastes you should, like ribena you should, berries. You should know this. Okay, ribo, like ribose. Yeah, okay. Is sugar. Yep. And flavin. Uh, is what the nerdy professor off The Simpsons always says. Flavin. <laughs> um, it means yellow. I think the flav- the flavin ligament. In what? In what? The ligament flavin. Luteum mm. means yellow. Yeah, that, I think that's a different language. I think that's Greek. Luteum is Latin. Okay, then my Greek must be flavin. Anyway, um, Rubber flavin just means sh- uh, yellow sugar, and this is the th- this is the part that makes your urine fluoro yellow. Yeah, so when you take a multivitamin and you go, "Wow, look at this! My my pee is glowing in the dark." And that's the main reason why you take them for the rubber because I like just you, seeing the fluorescent yellow. You pee. like the predator, and uh, and the, <laughs> yeah, the what predator. Do you mean? He's got the predator has the kind of glowing blood. It's green though. Oh, close enough. See <laughs> what. You pee on trees and you're I like... I do. And that's and that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger finds me in the forest. <laughs> and throws a tree on me. Okay. Um, Come and get me. So that's rubber flavin. So there's two there's two types. There's flavin, flavin mononucleotide or FMN and then there's flavin adenodinucleotide or FAD. Okay. So these are both formed through the transfer of phosphate and adenomonophosphate from ATP. So they're important for oxidative reductase and the H carrying in the mitochondria. So this is um, in the transfer chain. Is that right in the mitochondria? Yeah. Yeah. So it plays a role there. That's as far as I'll go. Good. Um, the, Otherwise we're jumping too far into metabolism. The amount that you need is about 1.1 milligrams for males, 1.3 for females. And what and, about for me? And slightly higher for pregnant lactating women. Um, is it just because they are using more? Yeah, I think they just have a greater demand. Okay. Um, deficiencies. So the main deficiency syndrome, I didn't, I couldn't find the name of it, but it it appears to have a, a fairly strong effect on epithelial tissue. Yeah. Okay. So the syndrome that it goes with is you'll have um, a breakdown in the corner of your mouth, which is a thing called angular stomatitis. Yeah. Okay. You'll get glottitis, which is a swollen tongue or an inflamed tongue, and scaly dermatitis. The, and sore throat. They're the three kind of that go with that syndrome. I thought you got a sore throat too. Well, that will probably go with 
potentially. Anyway, uh, it also appears to have a, an effect with photophobia. So uh. what I found was rubber flavin has an effect with activating um, or or working with vitamin A in the retinol acid. Retin, no, Retinoic ret, acid. Ret, retinol. 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 Um, the drugs that will play around with it are the antipsychotics, some of the tricyclic antidepressants, and barbiturates. So they seem to be more the mental health drugs. Yeah. Sources. So how do you get this? Um, milk, cheese, liver, greeny veg or green leafy veg, uh, fish, eggs, and enriched cereals. So a lot of these cereals are fortified. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, is don't they work? Did you say how it works with as glutathione? I didn't find oh, glutathione. No, I didn't. Did you want to add something there? Well, it's just that glutathione is a pretty important antioxidant within the body um, and rubber flavin seems to work as glutathione. And glutathione, as one of the main antioxidants, basically neutralizes reactive oxygen species uh, in a number of different pathways, one of which being um, oh, the it's, it's called the – oh, now I've tested myself. This is pushing me back to my PhD. I did my PhD on these pathways. Oh, you should but that be was, all over it then. Yeah, but that was bloody – Four five, years ago. Five years ago. Okay, moving on. Um, Phase two, antioxidant response pathway. Anyway, okay. go on. Um, That's not worth bringing up. Vitamin B3, this is the last of the beta complexes. Oh, great. Um, uh, this is known as niacin. Okay, this seems to work with the NAD+. Plus, this NAD, is a nice one. NAD+. Plus, uh, NAD, sorry, uh, this, is a, this is a nice one. Did I press the, I'll press the crickets. Yeah, that didn't work for you, did it? <laughs> okay, um, so it has an effect with NAD+, plus, NADP+. Plus. What are those? Energy, okay. transfer molecules. So that's in both glycolysis and Krebs cycle? Oh, it's in a whole bunch of metabolic pathways. But, but yeah, they're really pronounced in glycolysis. Okay. So niacin is a generic name for nicotinic acid and nicotinamide. Okay. Nicotinamide. Yeah. yeah. Um, it has an effect on oxidoreductase and catalyzing re- reduction reactions, should I say. Um, I think that's the main one. Now, the <laughs> d- deficiencies is pellagra. What's that? So Sounds it, like a delicious pasta. It's the, it's the syndrome that's most known with niacin deficiencies. So it will be fatal if it's not rectified but it's known for the three Ds. So these are the symptoms that will go through it, go with it. Dermatitis, diarrhea, and dementia. And if it's... Don't if, want any of them. If they're, re- if they're not reversed, then you will die from it. Uh, in high dose, B3 is actually hepatotoxic, so it's toxic to your liver. So you've got to be mindful that the upper, the upper limit is 35 milligrams. Okay. Okay. Whereas the normal is about nine, 15 to 19. Finally, the um, sources of how you obtain this particular vitamin is dry yeast. Again, that must be bread. I don't know how you would eat dry yeast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you don't just eat I've it. I've actually right. never heard of it as a source. Okay. Um, liver, red meat, legumes, and whole grain. Wow. Okay. okay. And then finally, the drug that is most likely to cause a deficiency is. Anti-TB drugs. Why? Don't ask these questions. Okay, don't state them. <laughs> All right, that's my B complexes. Are we um, on to B6? I'm going to pass you on to B6, yeah. 
Pyridoxine is B6. Now, this serves as a coenzyme, so it helps a whole bunch of enzymatic processes. So I think all the Bs so far are coenzymes. Yeah, that's right. Um, about 100 different reactions. Again, like you said, for B1 to B3, associated with amino acid, glucose, and lipid metabolism. Like the others, found in many meats, but also found in bananas, potatoes, and fish. Um how much do you need? Between 1 to 1.3 milligrams per day. And its deficiency is very similar to what you said, uh, like glottitis, um, uh, subarachic dermatitis, and uh, ulceration and so forth. All right, let's have a look at studies looking at supplementation. How do you get it? How do you get this? Deficiency. No, how do you get it in your diet? I said meats, bananas, potatoes, fish. Okay. Yep. Um, so... B6 and colorectal cancer. It seems to be uh, with B6 supplementation and inverse correlation with the risk of colorectal cancer. And this was a meta-analysis. So I looked at a whole bunch of studies. Okay. So, you know, not an RCT, but pretty strong evidence. Uh, B6 and breast cancer, again, an inverse association with more B6, less risk of breast cancer. However, it wasn't significant. It was just a trending effect. Uh, and that you know what? That's pretty much all I've got for B6. Okay. So not super interesting. And now B7, 9, and 12 is up to you. No, it's 7 yours, which I, is biotin. Did I do B7? You did biotin. Okay, biotin. <laughs> you know it's also known as vitamin H, biotin? Did you yeah, know I, did, I did see it, vitamin H, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's B7, which is biotin. Uh, and again, involved in metabolism of fats and carbs. Did you find why it's called H? Uh, yeah, it was named after something. <laughs> but I can't remember. The H stood for something which I I looked at and went, not interesting. Probably some German white dude's name. <laughs> in Australia I and... I you're not going to offend if we've got German listeners. I don't think we have German listeners. If we do, welcome. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Um and uh, ich, bin, ich bin Matthew. Yes. Uh, ich bin einer Lufthansa. <laughs> so in the USA and Australia, we don't actually have formally established recommended daily allowances or intakes uh, because the requirements are so small and it's available in so many foods and our bacteria make it. So, so it's, it's Greek for life by biotos. Oh, very nice. But biotin is German. <laughs> is it? Yeah. <laughs> so. This is awesome. Um, you don't need much. It's in so many different types of food and bacteria make it. So that's why we don't have a recommended daily allowance for, for it. Okay. Um, however, if you consume raw eggs, right, every day for many months. Who does that? A lot of people. <laughs> it can result in biotin deficiency. How? Uh, because of the avidin, which is part of the egg shell, binds to it, collates it. You know, like when you say raw eggs, you don't eat the shell. You know that, right? Correct. 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 I used to eat raw eggs. With the shell? No. No. I didn't need that much calcium and phosphate. Okay. Deficiencies. Again, hair loss, dermatitis, neurological symptoms. Uh, and you can get high quantities of it in egg yolk, not the egg white. So, people so eat raw are, egg they white. are they negating each other? Yeah, basically. Okay. So the raw egg white over many I th- months. I thought that was just all albumin. Yeah, it is, but it's got avidin in it. Okay. 
Um, egg yolk, cereals and vegetables, high quantities of it. And that's B7. There's no real studies looking at utilizing B7 to affect any particular diseases or disorders. Okay. There's a couple, but it's usually in, um, in addition to other vitamins. Okay. Um, just one point here. Um, yes, just so, the li- just, so the, just so the listeners know, the reason why we're approaching it this way is I just came across a multivitamin, one of the a famous, well, well, big selling multivitamin in Australia. And I just looked at the back. And this is all the vitamins. Mm-hmm. So this is why we're doing it this way. Yeah, um, because so there will be a take-home message after this. Oh, you're going to do one, are you? Okay, so the last two are B9 and B12. Okay, so... Let's do nine quickly. So, well, this is probably the... All right, let's do 12 quickly. Okay, so B9 is also known as folic acid. Oh, yeah, that's or important. Fo- or folate, okay? So, or teriol L-glutamatic acid. I like the first two. Okay. Um, it seems to have an effect on single carbon transfer reactions and synthesizing DNA, specifically nucleic acids. So what? Okay. Was that What's the importance of that then? Why do we need it? I know synthesizing nucleic acids, but don't women need it for their children, for, for developing embryos? Yeah. So what I guess it's important for is cell growth, dif- differentiation and replication, mitosis. Would you would you summarize that as what about um, cl- closure of neural tube? Well, that's just because um, so at about mm, I'm just trying to think when this is a problem. Um, day twenty one, so about the third week post fertilization, um, there's an area within the trilaminar disc. Oh, of course, yes, <laughs> we all know the trilaminar disc. <laughs> okay, so the ba- the back of the embryo, um, it starts to crest up and form into a tube. This is called the neural tube. Now, um, certain things that are important for this closure is a, a good physiological temperature and also the right amount of folic acid. So I would imagine the, the what the folic acid is important for is producing cells at a certain quantity and speed to close the tube up. That's my guess. And if you're deficient in folic acid you're not synthesizing your DNA, therefore your mitosis and all that is going to be slower or reduced, so you're not closing your tube up. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So it, it appears to have a strong correlation, folic acid deficiency, a strong correlation with um, neural tube defects. More so, I think, at the posterior end, so the caudal end rather than the head end. I think the head end's more um, dependent on temperature. Oh, okay. So temperature, a hotter, hotter temperature, like a fever, um, is more likely to impact those cells and that more likely results in... So don't have ac- a sauna when you're pregnant. Yeah, and they've done those studies or at least correlation um, epidemiological studies where they found that women in, I don't know, Scandinavia who are more likely to have saunas than other parts of the world uh, on day ooh, 23, 5, day 25... Um, their babies are born or fetuses are born with anencephaly. Wow. But folic acid, is, its effect is at the tail end. So you have the spina bifida, which is essentially, it could be, clo- it could be closed, um, but then you have vertebral problems. So the way the, the vertebra are formed behind the cord, so that's a mild effect. Or the most severe f- effect is the... Um, the spinal cord sticking out of the whole baby as like a cyst. Yeah, wow. Okay, so 
that is one common issue. Well, I shouldn't say one common, but it's a presentation that goes with the deficiency of folic acid. Yes. The other big one is megablastic anemias. So this is anemias. So anemia in definition basically means a reduction or a deficiency in hemoglobin. So the problem here is when your red blood cells are forming, where are they forming from? Uh, Bone marrow. Yeah. So as they're developing in the bone marrow, um, they are big cells. So they're big blastic cells. So what wants to happen, I think, is as they... um, uh, What's the word? Um, Mature? Yeah, probably mature, but um, probably more differentiate. Okay. They become smaller into a nice seven micron size red blood cell. Yep. Okay. But if you're deficient in folic acid, it it has problems with this because of the DNA um, processing. And they stay big. They stay big. And this is called a macroblastic or macrocytic anemia. So why why is it anemia? Because because it just doesn't doesn't develop properly. And so... So basically has no function. So you've got the right amount of these cells, but they're not functional. Yes. So you've got anemia effectively because you're not transporting anything. Correct. Yep. 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 Um, It's just important to note that this particular type of anemia would be indistinguishable from um, B12 anemias, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, Folic acid, as I said, is important for... um, cell growth and differentiation and mitosis. So therefore, folic acid inhibitors can be used for both antibiotics and for chemotherapy treatments. So you want to maybe use folic acid inhibitors such as methotrexate as a chemotherapeutic agent because it's thought if you make these cells deficient, no mitosis. They won't keep replicating. Cool. And whereas antibiotics, such as trimethoprim, um, bacteria don't get it from their diet. They have to make it themselves. So these drugs block it. Block the enzymatic process. Yeah. Because we don't have any enzymatic process. We, we just have to diet. get the folate. And the way you get it is liver, again, again yeast, yep. yeast yeah. again. <laughs> um, in ra- enriched cereals. Griffy yeah. green. Why do I say green? Yeah, griffy. 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 <laughs> griffy greens. Um, green leafy veggies. Is your local uh, veg and, salesman. And citric fruit. But I think because of the correlation that we know that folic acid causes neural tube defects and uh, anemia, it has been enriched in cereals, fortified. Um, the, the only drug that I could find that will have an impact with folic acid processing is alcohol. Finally... Are you happy with that as B B9? Oh, just high amounts um, because they, yeah, high amounts seem to have an effect on in increasing cancer risk uh, in colon cancer, prostate cancer, and breast cancer. Wow. So excessive amounts. Detrimental. Will, which it seems to be about 1,000 micrograms. Wow, so males not- about 200, females about 180, pregnant females. So this is the most important one. So let's stress this. Pregnant women should make sure that they are receiving adequate intake of folic acid. Yes. So they have to consult with their physician and the RDI for pregnancy is around 400. Okay. But 400 you, what? Micrograms. Micrograms. The, the highest upper limit, safe limit is 1,000. Okay. And then you're going into unsafe territory. Yeah. and But I didn't find that it's a... Um, Teratogen, unlike vitamin, 
or was it A? Um, but it can have an effect on cancer. Okay. Not sure causally, but anyway, there's a link. Mm. Moving to the last one that I'm doing. Oh, this is the last one of the day. Yeah, B12. Okay, an hour and a half. That was <laughs> what did I press? Which one? Wrong one? Music. <sighs> okay. So B12, also known as cobalamine. Okay. It is a coenzyme. It seems to have a very important effect on heme structure, particularly on that. I didn't look into this, but particularly with cobalt transfer with iron in the red blood cell. Yeah. I didn't really look into why cobalt needs to be exchanged with iron and at what point, but it seems to have an effect. The only reason of having cobalt in your diet is in this process. Cobalt's an element on the periodic table, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a metal. So it's an important, B12 is important with red blood cells. So it's also with nucleic acid synthesis and recycling folate. So folate, which is the last one we did, B9 and B12 seem to work strongly together, particularly with um, hemocyte, no, what is it? Cysteine, hemocysteine? Homocysteine. Homocysteine, yeah. Which is probably the, the only research that's quite interesting in this space. They seem to find people with high amounts of homocysteine seem to have a greater cardiovascular risk, stroke, heart attack. And so, so what's the role with B12 and homocysteine? It seems to lower homocysteine. So they've done okay. quite a lot of trials with B9 folic acid and B12 to look at it, but it doesn't seem to be much effect to lowering homocysteine. No, actually, it, it lowers homocysteine levels by about a quarter, but it doesn't seem to have any cardiovascular effect oh, okay. or negating effect oh. to, the, to heart attacks and strokes. Um, uh, it seem, oh, this is an important point. It, it appears that B12 is absent in all plants, so yeah. it's only present in animals. Okay? So meat, eggs, poultry. So, um, dairy products. Yes, fish, dairy, meat, eggs. But we, again, like everything else in the bees, we start we start to look at fortifying. Yeah, the fortifying cereals. grains, for example. Yeah. So that's probably where you'll get it. So the the stress point here is vegans have to be careful. This is probably the, the group that's most well one of the groups that are most likely to get deficiency in B twelve. Mm. Why this is a problem? Well, B twelve leads to two things. Um, B12 deficiency. Yeah. Pernicious anemia, which is probably going to present very similar to the folic acid anemia. Yeah. It's both, both of them are megablastic or macrocytic anemias. So it's a developmental problem of the red blood cell. Um, The other big deficiency syndrome are neuropathologies. Um, Like paresthesias. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so numbness, have, tingling, yes, all that difficulty walking. But with the pernicious anemia yeah, so and the B12 okay. absorption, don't we require a particular uh, factor called intrinsic factor that yep. we release from? Is it parietal cells in yeah, your stomach? It's in your stomach, yep. So people, it's parietal cells. So two people that are at risk here is there's, a, there's an autoimmune disease that affects the stomach is going to affect the way you, you process the intrinsic factor. Also, people who have had bariatic bariatric surgery, mm. so a reduction in their stomach size or volume, they may have intrinsic factor processing problems. Yeah. And that will be – so basically your B12, which you've got from your diet, has to lock on to intrinsic factor and then it gets absorbed down in your turn, terminal ileum. Yes. And so if you don't have the intrinsic factor, so if you have stomach issues – 
So I think it's also for people who may take um, antacids. Is that right? Yeah, there's certain there's certain types of PPIs, which are proton pump inhibitors, that because the hydrochloric acid is also made from the parietal cells mm-hmm. and the intrinsic factor is made from the parietal cells, there are some old school PPIs that just block those cells. Okay. So, so block both. So they can't, the intr- intrinsic factor and B12 can't lock on together to Yeah, get but I don't carry. know if there's any currently available PPIs that, that do that. I think they're all quite specific now and they're all quite good at, you know, the hydrogen Reduce chloride okay. transporter inhibition or they're like uh, antihistamines. Okay. The, um, the main issue seems to be at the ileum at the ileum end. So people with Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel, oh, yeah. they will have problems absorbing B12 because that is the part of the bowel that with the with the disease or the inflammation. So that's Crohn's is also a, a, a fairly common condition that would lead to a B12 deficiency. Um, how much you need? About two point four micrograms for males, two point eight for pregnant females. Um, I think that's the main ones. So that's B12. Any questions of B12? No, I think that's pretty good. So we've covered a lot. Covered a lot and it's taken one and a half hours. Okay, but there's 12, so we've basically done one in 10 minutes. Luckily, we didn't start talking about the uh, The minerals minerals and ions and so forth. Yeah, yeah. For a future podcast. So do you want to do a summary? Yeah, I think if you want to summarize it all, and your question is, should I be taking a multivitamin? I would say the answer would be, well, firstly, it depends. If you are eating a healthy, balanced diet and you have no vitamin deficiencies, mm. a multivitamin is expensive urine. That's yep. pretty much all it is. And also they did find in a study, I think they called it the Iowa Women's Study, and they just had... I think this is an RCT, a huge amount of women, like probably 39,000 I think looked at. And those who took a multivitamin had a greater risk of all-round mortality. Yeah. It seems to be if you're a healthy individual, it actually seems to be detrimental to your health taking multivitamin. Uh, A lot of people ask, which vitamin should I take for benefits? Well, the question is, are you deficient? If you're not, you don't need it. Just because some is good doesn't mean more is better. The other thing is, if you are deciding, we change our diets all the time as people. Now, sometimes it's seasonal and it's forced because of what's available. But a lot of people seem to like to change their diet for fun. Uh, If you decide to go from eating meat to not eating meat, go from a meat eater to uh, an omnivore to being vegetarian or even to vegan, this means you're restricting your diet from certain food products. Now, when you're restricting your diet from certain food products, it means you're not getting certain things and you're changing the intake of certain vitamins and minerals. And you probably don't know whether you're getting the right amount or not right amount. So my suggestion is if you plan on changing your diet long-term, one, talk to a registered dietitian. Two, get your bloods done pre, post, during to see what's changing, if anything is. Yep. All good. Oh, and if you are on medication... And you want to take a supplement of any kind, whether it be vitamin, whether it be mineral, whether it be herbal, make sure you talk to your doctor first because of the contraindications and potential interactions. Yeah, and natural doesn't always mean safe. It's called the natural fallacy. Google it, people. And so with vitamin D, finally, please don't do Michael's approach where it's, what was it, the bum exposure one? Yeah, that wasn't for, I I don't know why they did that. How long have you been doing that for? Um. (laughs) Uh, look, do people get offended when you do that? Well, 
It's yeah. I mean, I shouldn't do it at work. That's that's for sure. But um. <laughs> All right. Any final housekeeping? No. Enjoy yourself. Nothing do your research. Nothing. Is this likely our last one for the year? For the year, yeah. I think it is. I want to go on holidays. I'm very tired. Okay. Um, suggestions for topics for next year, please. Send them through. Send and please email. don't make them so niche. Um, we're happy to do topics, but I, I don't, I can't do it. We can't do a topic on something, you know, as, as niche as. Berry, berry. Berry, berry. That's probably not as niche as some that I've been asked, but happy to do some. Let us know. We've got a list that we're going to work through, but we'd love to get your input. S- and s- happy season greetings, everyone. Happy what? Season Seasoning. Se- se- season greetings. Mm, you can tell Matt's a real holiday guy. <laughs> happy holidays. Yeah, How's that? How's that? better. Happy holidays. See ya. Uh, <laughs> bye, bye, Michael. Bye, Matt. <laughs>